0: Hey, um, last weekend I had the privilege of introducing our theme for uh, 2023, and I do want to take a moment, and uh, if you weren't here or maybe didn't have a chance to catch up online, maybe you're new here this morning, uh, I do want to briefly recap what we discussed last weekend because our theme for 2023 as a church did serve as the inspiration for the series uh, that we are diving into today. Um, if this is your home church, you know that we're big on themes. We love themes, uh, we love asking the Holy Spirit what He would be speaking to us about in a season, and every year we have a theme that is generally accompanied by a scripture, and this year is no different. Uh, The theme that after praying and seeking the heart of God that the Holy Spirit gave us for 2023, it's two words, every promise, every promise. Could you say those words with me? Every promise. And uh, that phrase, those words, they come from a passage of scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, where the apostle Paul writes this. He says, for every promise of God in Christ is yes, and through Christ, our Amen ascends to God for His glory. In a more concise fashion, we've saying, all of God's promises are yes and Amen. And last week I shared that in this scripture, this short but powerful scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul is reminding each and every one of us that we have received some promises from God. I'll ask you again, like I did last week, and do you believe that today, that you have received some promises from God? A, a significant number of them. And And he reminds us here that not only are those promises fulfilled in Jesus, but they are inherited by every single one of his followers. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you've said yes to him with your life, then you have inherited all of the promises in God through Christ all of them in scripture, which as we discussed last week is a significant number, Uh, 7,487 of them, if I remember correctly, that you have inherited. But in addition to the, the promises that God gives us in the word, there's also promises, as we know, that he's given to us personally and uniquely. Uh, promises he's made to you maybe in a time of prayer as, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And maybe it's a promise of healing for a situation or healing for an ailment or a restoration of a relationship. There's a significant number of promises that God has made to us. And as we step into 2023, not to dangle a carrot, but truly by faith, we believe that we're walking into a season where we're going to begin to see promises fulfilled A season where prayers that that maybe you've been praying for a long time are going to be answered. Prophetic words that were spoken over you maybe decades ago, they're going to be fulfilled in this season. Hopes are going to materialize. God has called us as a community to begin to contend like never before for the things he has spoken over our lives because we are walking into a season where we are matching our amen with his promise of fulfillment. There's some good stuff coming. Can I get a baby amen from the night? O'clock service. Yeah, that's what we believe. We're stepping into this season. But as we discussed last weekend, uh, this pursuit of God's promises requires an awareness of a spiritual principle that if we forget or, or, or we don't know about, will lead to great frustration in our journey of faith because we'll find ourselves asking why it seems as though God is not fulfilling the things He's spoken over our lives. And that principle we discussed last week is that every promise comes with a prerequisite, something that God asks of us before he releases those promises to us. When it comes to chasing after God's promises, it isn't just some flippant act of faith where we say, amen, and we get it. It's not name it and claim it or blab it and grab it or all the phrases that people use about charismatics all the time. that's, That's not what it is. There is an onus of personal responsibility to chase down the things that God has asked us to pursue. His promises, as we discussed last week, they often look like this in scripture. If you do this, then God will do this. That's the principle. But now, having established this this principle, what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks is we're going to begin to look at some of these 7,487 promises. Not all of them, don't worry. Uh, But some of them. And specifically, I want to begin to look at the promises that God has spoken universally over many of us that some of us feel like we haven't been able to lay hold of yet. Specifically ones that it feels like we should have been pursuing and receiving by now but maybe we're in overtime. It feels like, man, I should have been able to lay hold of that by now. Because here's what I know about my life, and here's what I assume to be true of many people in the room. There's some areas in our faith where we feel like we should be further along by now. Some things where we're like, gosh, I I thought I would be there, but but I'm not there yet. And to that end, we are titling this series that we're stepping into today with the four words that every single parent hates. Are we there yet? Uh, come on, moment of honesty at church. Any parent ever snapped on your kid in the back seat when they asked that question to be the 28th time and you're on the Bay Bridge? Come on. Just me, okay, cool, that's fine. I'm the only honest parent in the room today, that's cool. Yeah, I will turn this car around. You will walk home in the rain. Do not ask me again. We all know that, that statement. But, but here's the deal. You do not have to be a child to feel that frustration of delay, You don't have to be a child to feel like you should be further along than you are. I think we all know that feeling intimately. Uh, This last holiday break over Christmas, um, Robin and I, uh, we had decided to go down to Southern California for a couple of days to, to get away and, and disconnect. And so uh, after Christmas, we left our daughters with the grandparents, and our plan was to uh, book a flight early Tuesday morning, get on a plane, get down to Southern Cal, spend the whole day down there Tuesday, and then get a late checkout on Friday and uh, come home later in the afternoon so that we could truly maximize the time off when we didn't have to prepare sermons and, and do church stuff and, and all of that. Uh, and the beauty of this trip is that it was going to be completely free. Where are all my free people at? Come on. You know what you, Okay, yeah. I, like, we had racked up a bunch of airline miles and, and some, uh, some hotel points, and so everything was gonna be paid for. The flight was free, the hotel was free, even the rental car was going to be free. And because I am a good steward of my resources, AKA cheap, uh, I chose an electric vehicle so that I didn't even have to put gas in the car. I'm like, I'm going to maximize the freeness of this vacation. Come on, where are my ballers on a budget at? Yeah, they, okay, now you know what I'm talking about. I shop at Nordstrom. Rack. Yeah, okay. I got it at Saks. Off fifth. Okay, yeah, okay. You know what I'm talking about. So, so the whole trip was supposed to be free. Unfortunately, the airline that I booked with is one that has been in the news recently. Yeah, you know what I'm talking. I got southwested. I love it when a noun becomes a verb, right? Yeah, I got southwested in the process. We showed up to the airport on Tuesday after checking over and over again to make sure the flight was still going out. Paid $75 to the airport to park. And we stand in there at the gate and our flight time comes and goes. And about an hour after our flight was supposed to take off, those dreaded words come over the intercom. (laughs) We regret to inform you, your flight has been canceled. We hate you, you know? And so we're like, okay, great. (laughs) But we were, we, we were committed to not allowing the incompetence of the airline to ruin our vacation. So we grabbed our, bug, uh, our baggage, and uh, we made our way through the rain back to our car, and we're like, we're just going to drive down to Southern California. It'll be fine. We'll enjoy the trip. We did not enjoy the trip because not only was it raining, the incompetence of the airline was dwarfed by the drivers on the road who seemed to not know how to drive in the rain. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but like, When I'm driving in the rain, I feel like I am the only person who deserves a driver's license on the road. I'm like, did all of you people lose your mind? Like, I'm all for exercising a reasonable amount of caution, but doing 40 in a 70 because it's raining, I'm like, someone slash your tires, please, for the love of God. So the whole day, I'm just getting frustrated because we're driving super slow. At one point, I literally turned to Rob and I'm like, I feel like I'm getting punked right now because every time I would change lanes to move faster, my lane would stop and then the lane next to me would begin to move again. It's just like this Mario Kart back and forth thing and I'm like, this is horrible. It was frustrating. And I would love to tell you that during this day-long trip down to Southern California, that I really you know, saw it as a blessing in disguise, I listened to worship music and just reveled in the glory of God in the car and recounted his faithfulness in 2022, saw it as an opportunity to look at my wife and just share deeply our feelings of love for one another during this very lengthy drive down to Southern California. But that is not what happened. (laughs) I grumbled under my breath the entire time. And I kept repeating to myself over and over again, I should have been there by now. I should have been there by now. I should have been there by now. <laughs> yeah, but I, again, I, I don't think that that feeling is isolated to a car ride. I, I think that feeling is something that all of us are familiar with. I should have been there by now. We all have some theirs in our spiritual life, some, some destinations that we feel we should have arrived at by now. There are some, some theirs of maturity, there's relational theirs, there's vocational theirs. There's a lot of places where we feel like we should be more mature, or more developed than we currently are, but we find ourselves stuck, delayed, and, and to be clear, some of those delays are divine. Sometimes God is really good at delaying you from getting to your destination because he knows that there's some maturity that needs to be developed in you before you get there. If you got the spouse right now, honey, you would blow that marriage up. So he is developing you in the delay so that when you get there, you can stay there. Some of it is God, but, but not all delay is divine. Often, I would say more often than not, much of that delay is due to personal negligence and not divine. It's an unwillingness to do the things that God is asking us to do in that season so that we can move into what he has for our future. And so to that end, every week in this series, we are going to be asking a question that looks something like this. Why am I not there yet? Why am I not developed yet? What am I doing or what am I not doing that God has asked of me That's preventing me from making progress, stepping into his promise. And the first of which I want to cover in our remaining moments today is this. Why am I not free yet? Why am I not free yet? We sang a lot about it this morning. But man, I wonder if there's a tension there, even as we begin to declare, he's the one who set me free. I think there's a lot of believers asking That question, why am I not? I don't even think you have to be a person of faith to ask that question. Why am I not free yet? In fact, I think it's an appropriate question to pose on the 15th of January because I know that many people make decisions in a new year to get rid of those unhealthy things from their past and start on this new program. But here we are two weeks in, and many of us have fallen back into those same unhealthy cycles that we said we wanted to break free from. But the question begs to be asked, why? Why am I not free yet? And I think the reason we so often find ourselves bound to things from the past is because we aren't willing to do the things God's asking of us to find freedom. Because here's the deal: listen, I think we all desire freedom. There is a a desire in the heart of human, uh, of all humanity for for freedom. I I can't speak for you, I'll speak for myself. I want to be free. Come on, I, I want to be free to, to make some mistakes without those mistakes defining me and making me. I want to be free from fear. I want to be free from anxiety. I want to be free to live for God without worrying about what people are going to think about me. I want to be free to invite people to come to church without being embarrassed. I want to be free of my past and free from anxiety and all that, that, that tries to bind me. But man, that, that, that freedom can seem elusive. We all desire it, but... There is a chasm between desire and experience, which is frustrating if you're a Christian because, listen, freedom is one of the greatest and most consistent promises that God makes to you. In fact, it is the first promise that Jesus made to his people as he began to preach. Luke chapter 4, he walks onto the scene. The first sermon Jesus ever taught. He stands up in church. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah, which we now know as Isaiah 61. And in the middle of the hearing, he stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to set free every captive, to open prison doors, to get the oppressed out of their situation so that they can live in liberty. And then he rolls up the scroll and in like a mic drop moment, he looks at the crowd and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Translation, I'm here to set some people free. That's my job. I have arrived on the scene to see the oppressed liberated. Those who are chained by their addictions are going to be set free in me. There is nothing that can hold you back. I'm here to liberate. That's why I came to planet earth. In, in keeping with this language of our, our theme verse for the year, Jesus is saying, in me, the promises God made to, in the book of Isaiah are fulfilled for you. Yeah. But man, how do we lay hold of those things? How do we lay hold of that freedom? What are we doing or not doing that is keeping us from this promise that Jesus has made to every believer? And over the next couple of moments, I want to discuss a few of those, those roadblocks, a few of those things that might be keeping us from freedom, three to be exact. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor Tim, two three-point sermons in a row? It's a, rare, it's a rarity around these parts, I know. But it's a new year, and it's a new me, all right? And I, I love all of you people taking notes, and I'm here to serve. So I'm going to give you three points today and see where these land. So number one, the responsibility on us, if we are going to lay hold of this freedom that God has made available to each of us, we need to be baptized. Baptism. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I know, even as I say that, I got a lot of believers in the room, and you immediately in your mind go, okay, I can check out here. Already done that one. I'm gonna check Instagram for the next five minutes. Stop. First of all, don't ever do that in church. Secondly. I think sometimes it's good to be reminded of the freedom that's been afforded to us by things we've already done. Listen, it doesn't always have to be new revelation, okay? The reason we read through the Bible every single year is not because you need new revelation. Sometimes you just need to be reminded of the truth that you already know. And there's some freedom that has been afforded to you, yes, even if you've already been water baptized, that we need to be reminded of. Uh, So you know this, and we mentioned it earlier. I think David shared it. Uh, We baptize people every single weekend here at the Father's house. I love that about our... That's one of my favorite things when people come for the first time. They're like, you guys baptize every weekend? I'm like, well, people get saved every weekend, so we might as well be baptizing people every single weekend. So yeah, that's what we do around here. Uh, But you may have noticed a phrase written across the front of our baptism shirts. Um, if, if not, uh, Justin and Bryson, will you guys come up here real quick, give it up for the models? Come on. You'll notice today that Bryson is wearing the black and white All Things New shirt with the blonde hair. Yeah, okay. Uh, why don't you give him your uh, uh, back there, and why don't you give him their front? Okay. That's a weird thing to say from stage. I'll fix that at the 11. Okay. So across the front of these T-shirts is written All Things New. And the reason we've written all things new across the front of these t-shirts is because of a scripture from Romans chapter six that is quoted on the back. You guys can take your seat, thank you very much. That scripture reads in Romans chapter six, verse three, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. I love that, permission granted to live a new life. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Somebody say amen. That's a good scripture right there. That scripture makes it abundantly clear that there is a freedom that is available in baptism that is available nowhere else. He he makes it abundantly clear that when we, when we step into the waters of baptism, it is a supernatural act. This is not some dead sacrament that the church has been practicing for years. There is a supernatural exchange taking place. He says that your old self is buried in the waters, and a new version resurrects. In the same way that Jesus was buried in a grave for three days, and then in new life rose, so you join him in his death, and the old version of you is killed off once and for all in those waters. That's why we hold some people down longer than others. And I'm just kidding. And a brand new person resurrects out of those waters supernaturally. When you watch someone get baptized, it is not just watching someone take a bath in front of a few hundred people here on a Sunday morning. You are witnessing, and I love the way Kainoa said this in his testimony, you are witnessing people take their first step, as he said, into freedom. Their first step into freedom. And the reason he and I say first step is because of this very intentional language that the Apostle Paul uses here in Romans 6 in speaking about baptism. He says, we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free. We are no longer slaves. What Paul is hinting at here, and, and that which he later begins to explain in greater detail in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, is this supernatural, powerful, spiritual principle about baptism as we see illustrated in the lives of the Israelites as they begin to walk into the promised land. Let me just remind you of this, this setting. Uh, As we recalled last weekend, after 400 years of slavery, the uh, Israelites are liberated from Egypt. Moses comes, and through a series of supernatural events, they're set free. But as they're making their way into the wilderness, on their way to the promised land, they find themselves at the shores of the Red Sea. And on the other side of that sea is this promise of freedom that God has made to them. But behind them is a chasing army of Egyptians trying to drag them back to where they came from. The only way for them to step into the freedom that God had for them was to go through the waters. So what did God do? He opened up the waters so that all of the people could cross over onto the other side into their freedom. And once the last Israelites stepped foot on the opposing shore, the waters crashed down on their enemies, drowned and killed off every person trying to drag them back to where they came from. And we are told that this this epic display of God's power in the Old Testament is a picture of what takes place in the New Testament through baptism. In the same way that their enemies were buried, when you go down into the waters of baptism, every enemy that tries to drag you back to where you came from is once and for all buried in that watery grave. Come on, addiction is buried, anger is buried, self-harm is buried, depression is buried. All the garbage from your past is buried in the waters. We say rest in peace to the past so that we can lay hold of the promise that God has for our future. And this is why it is mind-boggling to me that people delay water baptism. For to delay water baptism is to delay your deliverance. It's to sign up for slavery for another season and say, I will let sin govern my life a little bit longer do not buy into the lie that the enemy speaks over people, because I know how it sounds. I have this conversation constantly with folks. It's a lie that says, okay, well, I need to clean up my life a little bit. I need to, I need to sin less and earn my way so that I can qualify to get baptized because, you know, that's, that's a hoop I got to jump through in order to make my way to this thing that God has told me to do. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The great irony of that lie is the freedom you're looking for will never be achieved because it's not found on the shores of self-improvement. It's found in the waters of baptism. You cannot improve yourself to get to baptism. It is on the other side of those waters that God liberates you, and you find the freedom you've been looking for all along. So if you're here this morning and you are asking this question, why have I not found freedom yet? Why am I not free but you haven't been water baptized, then may I encourage, implore, beg you to take that step, to not delay your freedom any longer. And because we love you, we're gonna make that available to you today. Uh, Our baptism team has agreed to stick around for both services, and they're going to leave that tank set up, and if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, we're going to let you get baptized right after this service in the atrium, and we've removed all excuses. We got a change of clothes for you. We got combs and deodorant, and I don't know what else is inside the little bags, but all the stuff you need to make sure that you can get baptized and change back into your clothes today without, you know, inconveniencing yourself too much, but... If you're like, hey, I'd love to do that, and I I, I really know I need to, but I would like my family to be here, and my friends to be here. Okay, that's cool, too. Then my admonition to you would be this. Don't leave today without signing up to be baptized. Put yourself on the hook, because we all know how this works, right? If you leave, it'd be easy to say no. But while the Holy Spirit's speaking to you now, do what he's asking of you. Take that next step into water baptism. We'll give you some more directives after the service for that. But baptism is absolutely essential for freedom. Uh, Number two, and this one's gonna come with a little bit of a groan, but that's okay. Fasting. (laughs) Thank you for faking your excitement. I appreciate that. My pastor used to say, it is easier to act your way into feelings than it is to feel your way into actions. Like, okay, I'll act it out. Thank you for fasting, Lord, yay. Check out the scripture in Matthew chapter 17. It says, a man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? If you ever think anything I say sounds mean, just read this verse again, all right? I have never said that to you, but Jesus said it to this guy. Dang, he was just trying to get his kid healed. Okay, bring the boy here to me, he says. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, hey, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Well, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind won't come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this scripture because I honestly don't have that much time, but also because I don't need to. There was a brilliant sermon preached on this text uh, that Robin taught back in November, and if you'd like to get a more uh, extensive uh, teaching on this text, you can go back to that one. It's called Mountains and Seeds, and it was a powerful word, but I do wanna take a moment and just expound a bit more on something she shared. Uh, This text has been debated by theologians for a long time, And specifically, the theologians debate the application of the statement Jesus is making here when he says, this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. Some have concluded that when Jesus makes this statement, he is referring specifically to demons, a certain kind of of demonic oppression or force that for whatever reason requires a believer to pray and fast to equip themselves to overcome this kind of spiritual power. I guess levels of demons, if you will. The other group of theologians believe that Jesus is not actually talking about demons or spiritual powers when he says this kind must come out. In fact, he's referring to the unbelief in the hearts of the disciples that needs to come out. And their argument is that when Jesus begins to speak to his disciples and answer their question about why they were unable to perform when this father asked them to, uh, he says it was a result of their faith. So if they did not have enough faith, then the unbelief is what needs to be cast out of their heart in order for. Them to have the faith to begin to speak over this situation. Uh, If you care, I happen to fall into the second camp. Uh, Not that I'm a theologian, just a skinny, jean wearing pastor on the west side of San Francisco, Uh, but this one makes the most sense to me that Jesus would be speaking to the unbelief in the hearts of the disciples. However, regardless of the camp you fall into, the, the reality of this story remains the same. We have a son who needs freedom. And Jesus tells his disciples the key, the pathway to this man's freedom is found in prayer and fasting. According to Jesus, there are levels of oppression and consequently levels of freedom that are unattainable but through prayer and fasting. And I would love to give you some exhaustive explanation as to why and, and how. Not only do I not have time for that, I don't think I could. I don't know how or why this works, but I can tell you it works. I can tell you that prayer and fasting is a key to deliverance in your life. And I can tell you that because it's a journey I've taken on my own. I, it was not until in my 20s where I began to develop a rhythm of fasting in my life that I saw freedom from addictions and bondages and, and, and things of my past and pride and self-reliance. As I began to starve my flesh and feed my spirit, it was like I became equipped to overcome those things that were trying to take me out. It's like my spirit was strengthened in fasting and my flesh began to die off and it did not have power over me any longer. That's what happens when you fast. Fast. And so because of that, I am convinced that fasting is probably one of the most underutilized weapons in the body of Christ. It's uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. But man, it is powerful. And I believe if more believers were doing this, because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, not if you fast, if we were doing the things that we knew to do, I believe we'd see greater levels of freedom in our life. And so if you're asking the question, why am I not free yet, but you are a believer that has not developed a rhythm of fasting in your life, may I encourage you to deploy this spiritual weapon. It it hurts to train, but man, is it powerful. And again, because I love you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, Starting next Sunday at sundown, sundown, uh, we are doing our annual church fast, our corporate church fast for seven days. This is a time where we take seven days and we pray over uh, not just our community, but what God is asking us to step into as individuals this year. We pray over our city. It's a powerful time of pushing back the plate and seeking God. And I wanna invite you to join us on that. Uh, If you've never done this before and you need a little bit more information or even inspiration, uh, you can go to our website or you can go to our app and you can check out the events page. It'll tell you all about the fast, along with some prayer points. Uh, There's also a resource there called A Guide to Prayer and Fasting, where we discuss all the different kinds of fasts, juice fast, and water fast, and intermittent fasting, and Daniel fasting, and even if you have health conditions, you can check that out and make sure you make a wise decision on how you can jump in. But just fair warning, all of them do involve not eating. I just wanna be clear about that. Just so you know. I love like having a conversation. It happens every year. Some millennial walks up to me in the lobby and they're like, oh pastor, I'm so excited about the fast this year. I'm like, oh cool, what are you fasting? Oh, I'm, just, I'm fasting social media and TV this year. And I'm like, that's weird because that's not how fasting works. <laughs> Unless you're eating your phone and eating your television. And if you're doing that, you have deeper problems and you should seek counsel, but that's not how fasting works. So just to be clear, it does involve not eating. But whatever level the Holy Spirit invites you to jump in, man, join us in this journey. Because listen, here's why. I know that there are people in this room who have done everything you know how to do to find freedom and you haven't found it yet. There are still things, even in this journey of faith, you may have been on it for a decade, that you can't seem to break free from. Like the father in this story, you have gone to professionals and you've prayed the prayers, you've done everything you know how to do to find freedom and you still find yourself bound. I believe that as you begin to engage in this spiritual discipline, that the chains are gonna fall, that the bondages are gonna break, and you are gonna be liberated to live in freedom like Jesus has promised you. Fasting. Okay, we got a little bit excited about it by the end. That's good, all right. Last one, number three. Intimacy. Intimacy. Freedom is the result of intimacy. I think one of the reasons that many believers are not experiencing freedom in God is because they lack intimacy with God. Their relationship is very shallow with him. And let me just say this up front. I'm not trying to dig and make anyone feel ashamed, but I do want us over the last couple of moments here to truly assess where we're at in this process. Last scripture, and I'll invite the worship team to come with this. Oh, wait, that's not it. There we go. John chapter eight, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Let that just sink in for a moment. If we continue to sin, we are a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love this text. Here in John 8, we witness a debate between Jesus and and these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers. They come to Jesus and as he makes this accusation, they seem to suggest that their freedom is the result of their religious affiliation. They they say, Jesus, hold up, hold up. Slaves, do you know who we are? Not only do we believe in you, but we're children of Abraham. We're the chosen people of God. How are you going to say that we've We've been slaves and we need freedom. Like, we've never been enslaved to anybody, which is an absolutely ridiculous statement, isn't it? Like just take a slow read through the first couple of books of the Bible and you'll discover that's an outright lie. You've never been a slave to anybody. How about those 400 years in Egypt, you children of Abraham? How about that whole book called Exodus? Cause you had to exit from slavery. Okay, let's, what do you, what do you mean you haven't been a slave? Oh, and then after that, once you rebelled against God again, you were enslaved to the Babylonians for 70 years. And BT Dubs, right now, you're living in Rome, and the Romans have enslaved the Jewish people because they are the greatest world power on planet Earth. So not only have you been enslaved, but you are currently enslaved. To suggest anything otherwise is a denial of reality. But here's what I, I know to be true. These guys are not the only ones who deny reality. This, is a, this has been a theme in the lives of believers for decades and centuries, this denial of slavery. I think we all have something in us that tries to assume that our religious affiliation becomes some de facto liberation. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I go, I go to church. I, I sing songs, Hills Hill songs, Maverick City, uh, Evolution. Elevation, yeah, I got, I got them all. I got a fish on my car. I'm a C, I'm a C H, I'm a C H R I S T I N, I have C H R I S T, I'm a H E R T, and I will N A L I Y, I'm a Christian. Yeah, okay. I'm a Christian. I don't need any freedom. But what nobody knows is behind the scenes, you're still bound. Behind the scenes, there's still that thing that grips you and the temptation you continue to fall into. And what Jesus begins to make clear here in this text is, friends, your religious affiliation. Is not what sets you free. In fact, He goes as far as to say even your belief in Him is not what sets you free. Why? Because He's speaking to those who believe in Him, we're told in the first verse. So, so it is not belief that sets you free. That tells me that you can be a Bible-believing, cross-wearing, church-attending Christian and still need some freedom. According to Him, there is only one pathway to freedom. It's not affiliation. It's not attending. It's not wearing. It's not doing. According to him, it is knowing. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That word know in the Greek is an incredibly important word. It is the word gnosko, and it means to be intimately acquainted with. To be intimate with. It's not a cerebral knowledge. It's not a casual knowledge. It's a deep intimacy. It's not enough to know about truth. You need to be intimately acquainted with the truth. And what is this truth that we're supposed to be intimately acquainted with? It's Him. It's Jesus. He will say, just a few chapters later in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody makes their way to the Father apart from me. The reason the word Son is capitalized in this text is because He is the Son who sets you free. There is no other pathway to freedom but through Jesus. The truth is not a worldview, it's not an ideology, it's not a mindset, it's not a political preference, it is not something, it is someone. It is Jesus Christ who sets us free. But we have to know him. So I I guess my question to you in the last three minutes and 21 seconds of this sermon is this, do You know him. Not do you know about him. Not do you attend a church. Not do you have a Bible verse tattooed on your forearm. Do you know him? Do you know his voice? Do you you sense the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you? you long to be in his presence When you wake up in the morning is the first thought that crosses into your mind I gotta get to Jesus can you make it a day without him is there a desperation do you intimately know him and if you can't answer that question with certainty then I think today would be a very good day for you to make a decision and a determination this year i'm gonna know god i'm gonna know him like i've never known him before because listen the freedom you long for is on the other side of the decision to be intimate to know him and to be known so that's it those are the three baptized fasted and intimate with jesus if you're lacking freedom this morning any of those three are lacking in your life, that's your pathway to lay hold of what Jesus has promised to you. Because listen, those songs we sang earlier are not some glib confession that we sing out from a screen and hope that it's a reality for some. Those are the promises that Jesus has made to every single one of his followers. He is the son that longs to set you free. And today I believe we're called to lay hold of that. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over us. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for your word today, thank you for uh, these scriptures that we can consider and allow them to inspire action in our lives. And God, I pray a very practical prayer today. If there are decisions we need to make, very practical things we need to do to lay hold of this freedom that's available to us, I pray that we do it. God, that nobody would be held back. I pray against every lie of the enemy that would cause someone to, to sit back and go, well, not yet, or I'm not ready. All of us are ready for freedom. We need it, we long for it. So God, motivate those with your spirit inside of them to take the next step. And before we conclude, maybe you would be one here this morning and as we begin to speak about intimacy, you don't even really know God. There's, there's no relationship there to speak of. Well, I wrote this down as I was taking notes and preparing for the sermon, but it's a simple phrase, kind of cheesy, but here's what I wrote down. the intimacy starts with an introduction and today i believe that the holy spirit wants to introduce jesus to you he he wants to invite you to to come and follow him and maybe you've never made that decision before maybe you made it many years ago but uh, i want to invite you to pray a simple prayer of commitment with me today if you need to make that decision But before I pray, if you need to join along with me in praying that, would you just quickly lift up in your hand and say, Tim, today, I need to give my life to Jesus. Would you look at me and and acknowledge yourself? Thank you, got you right over there. Hallelujah, right on the back, yeah, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, with these that are, oh, right on, man, yeah, in the second row, awesome, awesome. Can, uh, Can we all just pray this prayer together with those making this decision? Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I choose to follow you. Forgive me of my sin, and help me to be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in eternity, in Jesus' name. Come on, amen, amen. Let's thank God for all those making that decision today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.